Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. So, um, I haven't seen a lot of you in over two months. If you didn't know, if you didn't notice my absence, I'm very hurt. <laughs> no, I've been, I've been on a study leave from the beginning of June to the beginning of August. Came, came back in the office a couple weeks ago. And you'll be hearing more about the fruit from that. But what we've done is taken the material that we've been using for the last seven years in the coaching ministry and uh, refining it, uh, making it more independent and interactive. You'll hear more about it. But basically, it's the creation of a workbook that will be a wonderful tool that any of you can use for discipleship. So it's, it's good to be back uh, with you. Pat and I have been going to first service, not because we like them any better, it's just that we're up early anyway. And so we, I've missed seeing some of your faces, and so it's nice to see you again. Thanks. You may not feel that way when I'm done here. All that nice little stuff is because I need to give you a heads up. Over the next 30 minutes or so, it's possible that some of us are going to feel a little bit of an ouch. As we apply the exhortations that we're going to see that the Apostle Paul gives to his young apprentice, Timothy, some of us may experience some conviction. Sometimes God's Word does that, but we'll always benefit from it if we simply listen to it. Now, perhaps, like me, you find yourself scratching your head sometimes over the choices that some churches and Christians make. I've known far too many people who have been profoundly hurt by church leaders and fellow Christians because those people do not operate from a proper understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in addition, I've seen believers set aside the clear teaching of the scriptures simply for their personal agendas and preferences. Yes, the Bible tells me how I should conduct my relationship with the person I love, but it's okay that we're living together and not married because... Yeah, the Bible says that certain sexual behavior is sinful and damaging, but we're far too enlightened today now to embrace such archaic thinking. We need to be proud of those we choose to love dangerous thinking. Now, I'd like to think that neither of those situations apply to any of you this morning. So with that in mind, let me ask a question. Or rather, let me invite you to ask yourself a question. Is my relationship with Jesus Christ the major defining factor in my life? Or is my Christianity more of a part-time Christianity? How much over the course of the week did I spend with the Lord either talking to or listening to him? What's my daily activity 
of taking in his truth? What was the last sermon, book, or Bible study that really affected me in such a way so as to love and trust Jesus more? What aspect of kingdom work am I passionate about? Last year at Bayside Chapel, we offered over two dozen groups and classes. Since January of this year, the, weekly average, the average weekly attendance in those groups or classes is 238 people. That represents 26% of the attendance that we normally have on a Sunday. Now, some churches would be thrilled to have that level of participation, but I'd like for you to think about it. It's, it means that almost three-quarters of us do not take advantage of one of the things that makes this place special. Bayside is all about equipping people with the truth of the gospel so that we would have fruitful relationships with Jesus Christ. A person cannot experience a fruitful relationship with Christ if they do not know what it means to be connected to him or in him. And the gospel is the only place where we will learn what it means to be in Christ. And the absence of that knowledge or the ignorance of the facts create a void, and that void gets filled with lies. And those lies then feed our own natural self-reliance. And that explains how it is that churches and people who identify as Christians buy into the culture's attitudes rather than a Christ-centered worldview. The result, confusion, dysfunction, relational failure, individual failure, and all of which unleashes difficulty, problems, and devastation on our lives and on our families and on our culture. That's what's at stake. And no one understood that better than the Apostle Paul. In his letter to his young protege, he is expressing his last words. And therefore, he is emphasizing to Timothy that which is most important. Timothy is facing great challenges in his ministry. There's an increase in Christian persecution. There are false teachers in the the Ephesian church. Last week, Pastor Ken showed us that in Paul's exhortation to him in chapter 1, that it carries the message of, in Christ, Timothy, you can face affliction with courage. And so can we. Well, today, we consider the things that Paul tells Timothy he must do to fulfill his calling. And it can be summed up in this statement. Come what may, live a life driven by the gospel. Come what may, live a life driven by the gospel. And there are four tactics that we must employ if we're going to enjoy such a life. The first is this. Be empowered by what God has accomplished in Christ. Beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 2, the apostle writes, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you haven't been involved in the work of the ministry, you know it is not a cakewalk. Timothy is dealing with difficult people whose agenda is contrary to the gospel. They were people whom Paul described in his first letter in the first chapter. He said they wanted to be teachers of the law. They are without understanding. They do not know what they're talking about or the things about which they make confident assertions. That's what he's dealing with. And you know, living the Christian life isn't any easier either, is it? Particularly if you take the gospel seriously. It amazes me. 
I am absolutely amazed by people who are clueless about the gospel, and yet they sound so confident. And yet their teaching is contrary to the gospel. And because of their confident assertions, there are people who drink the Kool-Aid of their heresy. They're all over TV. Have you noticed them? This is the kind of thing that Timothy was facing. And we face it today, church. Therefore, we need to be strengthened, empowered by God. Isn't it a great comfort to know that God is ready to do that? Testing, testing, come in. You have to understand, I taught junior high for eight years. And I'm, you know, used to... Paul and Timothy wrote, I can do some things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, who said no? Bless you, sister. I can do all things. All the things I want to do? <laughs> no. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We find the power to live the Christian life in the grace, Paul says, that is in Christ Jesus. Now, grace is one of those Bible words that's so easy to overlook. Oh, yeah, grace. Yeah, grace. What's grace? Well, you know, that's what you say at dinner time. Um, grace, you know, God's unmerited favor. Whew, I got that one. Can I go a little deeper than that about what grace is? <laughs> <laughs> Please edit that out. Grace. Grace is the realm of reality in which every Christian exists. Now, whether we live out of that realm by our choice is up to us. But it is a reality that is based on the accomplishment of God through the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. That is the realm of grace. It is not our performance. Grace humbles us. You know why? Because it says, I can't. But God, no, not can, did. It is finished. Grace is God has done it. You are not under law, but under grace. We are part of a reality that has been established by the completed work of the living Christ. It is that which empowers us to live what Jesus called an abundant life, the life that God has for us. It's a life of acceptance, meaning, purpose, and eternal benefit. And if we're going to know that kind of life, then we must understand what God has accomplished in Christ. This power can only be received by our dependence on the person of grace, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, apart from me, you can do nothing. To the extent that we operate off of our ability, our ability to perform, then it's not grace. You cannot perform for a gift. And it is the gift of God in Christ that empowers us. Now, this is not just the gift of a promised glorious future in heaven. But it is the gift of the life of Jesus Christ now. 
He does not give you strength. He is your strength. The first tactic is to be empowered by what God has accomplished in Christ. Here's the second. Share with others what's been given to you. Share with others what's been given to you. Now, you may not know it, but this morning, all of us, to some degree, are being affected by a guy that none of us ever met. His name was Lehman Strauss. Lehman was a student at Penn State University in the 1950s. He had a classmate in his chemistry class with whom he shared this truth, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. His classmate's name was Earl Comfort. Earl would become my pastor in 1985 and my mentor in 1988. The Lord used him and many others in unique and powerful ways. That I stand before you this morning is one of the results of the fact that they have passed on what they learned. So blame them. <laughs> Share with others what you have received. Paul's priority was the communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He communicated the gospel to the lost unto their conversion, and he communicated the gospel to the church unto their being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Timothy heard. He says the things that you have heard that means to receive, to embrace it, to make it his own. And because Timothy heard that, Paul entrusted to Timothy something that was very dear to his heart, the Ephesian church. And he exhorts Timothy, okay, Timothy, the things that you've embraced, you entrust it. Make a deposit into other people, faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It is a command to take that which you have received and deposit it in others who are going to receive it and deposit it in others. It's God's multiplication system. Now, do you realize this or not? Whether you know it or not, you pass on what you embrace. What you believe is true, you will pass on. What you take is yours, you will pass on. There's a reason that James Carson's kids are Red Sox fans. He just passes it on. And you and I will pass on what we embrace. Here's the catch. You'll pass on lies or you'll pass on truth. And you may not even know you're doing it. And that's why you've got to make sure you know the truth. Because whether it's intentional or not, we will pass on what we embrace. So here's the critical question. Are there lies that I believe that I will then in turn and pass on to those I love the most simply because I don't know any better? The key to our spiritual and emotional well-being is to replace the lies that we have learned with the truth of the gospel. Yoda was right. You must unlearn what you have learned. The if you've never seen Star Wars, would you please catch up? You must unlearn what you have learned. The Apostle Paul said it this way, be transformed by the renewing of the mind. And that's another great reason to be taking advantage of what Bayside or other churches offer in regard to classes and groups and such. 
If you just come for an hour on Sunday and you've been a Christian for any length of time, you're going to get anemic. I'm sorry. That's not going to be enough. Even if you just grab a good book and do it on your own, don't let Sunday be sufficient because it's not. And so what Timothy heard from Paul is the same message that we are committed to at Bayside Chapel 2,000 years later. Now, we may not all be called to teach, but we are all called to pass on the truths of the gospel. Not just to the lost, but to each other too. And passing on the truth, of, passing on the truth is part of our vision at Bayside Chapel for our future. See, it's really not just an option for the few. It's a privilege for all of us to do. Share with others what's been given to you, what you have embraced. Be strengthened by that, by God's grace. Share, but keep this in mind. Making the choice to have a gospel-driven life is going to involve sacrifice and perhaps suffering. All of us have no stories of people who have lost their earthly lives for the ministry of the gospel. Now, for us, that may be a rarity. But being passionate about the gospel and the difference it makes in people's lives requires an investment. It it requires sacrifice of time, talent, and treasure, all of which I might choose to direct elsewhere for my pleasure or my convenience or my financial gain. When we experience the effect that the gospel can have in our lives, we're willing to make those sacrifices. And so the third tactic to employ if you're going to have a life driven by the gospel is be willing to pay the price because it's worth it. Paul goes on, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. There are three uh, things from Paul's uh, culture, and it's similar in our culture today, that he now points to to illustrate this idea of being willing to pay the price. He first chooses a soldier. A soldier has a focused determination. They're driven solely by the mission that they have, and they know that their lives and the success of their mission depend on their focus. Their enemy will use distraction against a soldier as a means to defeat them. And so therefore, the soldier knows that he has to keep the main thing, the main thing. A soldier does not get entangled in the affairs of everyday life. You know, sometimes I get distracted. I have my own version of squirrel. And my squirrel is, I take on, at some level, stuff that goes on in the world that I can't do anything about. Please tell me I'm not the only one who does this. You get worked up over stuff and you go, well, what can you do about it? I can get worked up. I earn that ulcer. And you know, it's a matter of pride versus humility because I actually buy the lie that I can do something about it. Are there things that you're trying to handle that God's just waiting for you to allow him to handle? Did y'all get that one? I'll be honest, folks. I think the Christian community in this country is distracted. My goodness, we're distracted. Our focus is not what it should be. We're distracted from setting our mind on things above. That's where we will find clarity for our mission 
and the strengthening that comes from the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So what distracts us? How about the media? Whether it's Fox News, CNN, take your pick. I keep saying it, turn it off. And they're so trustworthy, aren't they? I mean, really. Don't you feel so uplifted when you've spent a few hours in front of the tube like that? Equipped for life when you spend, you know, half the day letting it just play on in the background? Are you ouching yet? I preached, in a sermon some time ago I made reference to, be careful how much of that stuff you watch, right? And I went to visit somebody and they had it on. I looked at the guy and I said, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) In Christian love. (laughs) Jesus loves you. Now go and meet him. (laughs) And then, of course, there's that bastion of reliable information called social media. Can we please ask ourselves, what source of information do I allow to feed my mind more of? The truth of God or the news? And it's not news, it's their interpretation of the news. Those of us that are old enough, at least we had Walter. For those of you young people, that was Walter Cronkite. That's the way it is. You know, They told you the news, and then you had to figure out what to think about it. Now they tell you what to think, and you have to figure out what's the news. Social media. Is the main source of my discipleship the gospel or media? The fact is, gang, we're in a war. Whether you like it or not, we are. And it's not against people who think differently than we do on the political spectrum. They are not the enemy. Satan is. And he wants the church distracted. Because we're the only thing that has the only message that's effective against him. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Now, I am not suggesting a spiritual version of hiding your head in the sand. I'm simply saying that we have to be intentional about how much, we, oh, excuse me, what we do with our time. You only got so much. What do we do with our resources? And to ask ourselves, what benefit do I derive from the expenditure of that time? So just as a good soldier is committed to what his country is committed to, You and I are to be committed to Jesus for whatever he is committed to and wants to do through us. The great 19th century uh, preacher Charles Spurgeon said it like this. Up, I pray you now, by him whose eyes are a flame of fire and yet were wet with tears. By him on whose head are many crowns and who yet wore the crown of thorns, by him who was king of kings and lord of lords and yet bowed his head to death for you. Resolve that to life's latest breath you will spend and be spent for his praise. The Lord grant that there be many such in this church, good soldiers of Jesus Christ. We need to be willing to pay the price that first involves having a focused determination to keep the main thing the main thing. Here's the second. He uses the picture of an athlete. 
He says that an athlete is not crowned as victor unless he competes according to the rules. When I was in high school, I had a friend of mine. Her name was Nanette. She's two years older than me. And Nanette was on her path to become a world-class figure skater. And so high school in Hasbro Heights started about 7.30 in the morning. And um, Nanette would get up early, go to a nearby town, and put in about a two-hour workout. You got this? This is a teenager getting up at like 4.30 in the morning, every morning. That, ladies and gentlemen, is persistent discipline. The persistent discipline of an athlete. But another aspect of that discipline is the realization that if I'm going to compete in a game, i got to play by the rules. If you don't play by the rules, you can't win. And the biggest rule for you and I to remember as we engage in the work of the gospel is that we must never, ever, ever look to ourselves to attempt to do kingdom work in our own strength. You cannot accomplish God's work in your strength. We must depend on him. It is only a matter of do, it's not only a matter of doing what he wants, but doing it the way he prescribes based on his principle, and that's always dependence on Christ. To the extent that I do things his way, then I will not do them my way. To do them my way is flesh, and God will never bless anything that comes from our flesh. Playing my way disqualifies me from the game. You know, God wants us to love people. You know that, right? As, as, as followers of Jesus Christ. But you know, sometimes we do great harm in the name of loving people. See, if I go about loving people in some manner that is contrary to his rules, what I may be doing is allowing people that I'm supposed to love to continue engaging in damaging, sinful behavior. Never tolerate sin in the name of love. It's not loving. If you know that it's sin, then it's not healthy. It is harmful. And if I love you, I will tell you so lovingly, even at the risk of you rejecting me. To not do so is to love me more than love you. Because I'm protecting me from being rejected. Love speaks the truth in love. And there's a discipline here. The discipline of an athlete. Paul said in the first letter to Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for a gospel-driven life. You know why? Because there's a prize waiting for you. It's called the victor's crown, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to you on that day. The discipline of the athlete, the focus of the soldier, and thirdly, the patience of a farmer. He says it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The farmer is a picture of confident patience. Patience because it takes time for the seed that is sown to produce fruit. And confidence because he knows that it will happen over time. And we're promised, you and I are promised, in our investment of our lives into a gospel-driven life, that there will be fruit in God's time. It may not look like what you like, think it should look like, but it will be there. And so we have a patience to know that we sow the seed, but he gives the increase. It is the crop of the fruit of the Spirit in this life, and it is the crop of eternal rewards 
in the next. So whether it is the determination of the soldier, the perseverance of the athlete, or the patience of the farmer, all represent some form of hardship, selflessness, sacrifice. The soldier, however, has a promised victory, the athlete has a promised prize, and the farmer has a promised crop. And then Paul closes these illustrations with an exhortation to Timothy and to us, basically saying, think it over. Think about what I'm saying. Consider these things, knowing that the Lord will give you understanding. If you and I are open to God's truth in his time, God will make it clear. He loves to do that. And so you see, he is saying to us this this third way, this third tactic to have a life that is driven by the gospel is to be willing to pay the price. Be empowered by what God has accomplished in Christ. Share with others what God has given you and be willing to pay the price. And here's the final one and perhaps the most important. Stay affected by Jesus. Stay affected by Jesus. He says in verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Paul reminds us, gang, that the gospel... It's not just a collection of facts that we are to know and to acknowledge. You know, acknowledging the facts of the gospel will never change your life. They won't save you. You and I are not called to just rest on the facts of the gospel. We are called to depend on the person that the gospel points to. That's Jesus Christ. The gospel always ends with him. It's all about Jesus. We need to stay affected, focused on him. We we must make sure that the Jesus, now watch out, be be careful. What Jesus do you believe in? The one on National Geographic? The History Channel? We have to make sure that the Jesus that we remember is the Jesus who's revealed in the Bible. And the Bible alone. The Jesus of the gospel is not only the Savior who died, but the Lord who lives in us and waits for us to trust him to be the source of our everyday life. He's that close. And Paul reminds us that this Jesus is risen from the dead. See that? Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Now, we don't think anything of this. Well, yeah, you know, he's risen from the dead, grace. You know, he could have said something that he says in other places. Remember Jesus Christ crucified. He says that. But you know what I think he's emphasizing here to Timothy? Because it's an exhortation to be driven by the gospel. A crucified Christ cannot do anything for you to live a gospel-driven life. Did you know that? A crucified man cannot live through you. Do you know why? Well, if he's crucified, what is he? He's dead. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He's living in you if you placed your faith in him. And we need to remember that the gospel doesn't end at the cross. The cross is a means to an end. You cannot have a resurrection if you do not have a cross. But it never ends at the cross. For those of you who are not used to me, I get excited about this. 
If while, we were, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more shall we be saved by his life. Unfortunately, I believe that there are so many Christian books, teachers and churches, that seem to end the gospel at the cross. You need the cross. Of course you do. But don't Ever let your understanding of the gospel end at what Jesus did for you at the cross. He is alive. He sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, and he lives in you through faith. That's why Bayside Chapel. Right now, the sound guys are going, would you please quiet down? That's why Bayside Chapel says with such conviction, Jesus gave his life for you in order to give his life to you so that he might live that life through you by your dependence on him as you. That's the Christ of the gospel. But he's also the offspring of David. Do you know what that's simply a reference to? He was human. He's human. Now, there's a lot of people who struggle with the idea that Jesus is God. But sometimes Christians like us, we struggle with the fact that he was a human being. And that's very important because when Jesus walked this earth, he did not behave as God. He behaved like a human. He engaged everything he did as a human being. And that means that he allowed his father to operate in and through him, just as the scriptures call us to allow Jesus to operate in and through us. He simply made himself available to his father as a human being for whatever the father wanted to do. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is godliness. We've been hearing about how these letters to Timothy focus on godliness. Look, if you think that you're going to be godly by trying to imitate Jesus, rot's a ruck. There's only one person who can be Jesus. It's Jesus. And when he is active through us and people see the effect of that activity, that is godliness. Godliness is not your capacity to imitate Christ. It is his capacity to represent and manifest himself through you. And the only way that happens is to simply trust him to do it. That is godliness. Now, we're not going to do the things he did. We're not going to do what Jesus did. When was the last time any of you walked on water? We may not do what he did, but we can operate the way he did. And the way he did was simple. He made himself available to his father. Whatever the father wanted to do through him, Jesus was available through, to, to the father to do that, and that's what we are to do. We're to depend on Jesus to live his life through us. That's the Jesus of the Bible. But in regard to this gospel, Paul again makes reference to the price. He says in verse 9, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You know, Paul didn't suffer because he did stuff wrong. He suffered because he was committed to the gospel. And he knew that it was more than worth it. Therefore, he endured. He hung in there. And he thrived. And that's what he's encouraging Timothy and us to do. You know, it's hard when you experience rejection, frustration, persecution, disappointment in ministry but it's worth it i have to remember that it's worth it you know paul may have suffered in silence but nothing can silence the gospel he may have been imprisoned but you cannot put the gospel in chains you cannot kill the gospel 
because at the heart of it is the one who conquered death and lives forever. You can no more restrain the gospel than you can restrain the Christ to whom it points. Therefore, in the words of the old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And then Paul actually uses what is probably an ancient hymn to close out what he's saying to Timothy here. He says, it's a trustworthy saying. If we have died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This little song reminds us very quickly of things that are true about Jesus Christ. It, it points to the promises we have in him, the consequences of what happens when we reject him, and his faithful character. He says, if we died with him, we shall live with him. This is a reference to our union with Christ in his death. I have been crucified with Christ. When he took my sin to the cross, he took the sinner I was to the cross. But because we're in union with Christ in his death, we're also in union with him in his resurrection. That's why if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And we shall see him just as he is. That assurance is another motivation to live a gospel-driven life. Yeah, there are challenges, but look what Paul writes in, in Corinthians. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison as we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The third little line of this hymn is a sobering reminder. Now, I don't know all of you, so I don't know if all of you have made the choice to have Christ be in you through faith. But we reject or deny Jesus Christ at our own peril. It's serious business if we deny him. If I just give lip service, oh, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. We're not talking about a works-based sanctification. We're not talking about a works-based salvation. But the fact of the matter is anybody can say I'm a Christ follower if we just give lip service. But if we deny him, he will deny us. And Paul is echoing the words of Jesus himself when he said, whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. It's serious business about what we do with the Lord Jesus Christ. But then finally, Paul says, just because we might blow it, it ain't his fault. In other words, we can be faithless, but he's faithful. If there's any spiritual failure or worse on my part, that's on me, not on Jesus. So folks, the fact is this. A lot of Christians do live a part-time Christianity. To some extent, I think we all do. I'm not exempt. And perhaps that's because sometimes we either don't know or we forget the power of the gospel. The gospel points to our need and God's provision of Jesus to meet that need. Only he empowers us to live lives, to be all that our heavenly father has designed them to be. You know, we're about to new, move into a new chapter here at Bayside Chapel. As we do, can 
we ask the Lord, and I mean we, including me, in what ways is my life not driven by the gospel of Jesus? Let's take advantage of what Bayside and other churches that are committed to the gospel offer to us, whether it's in a group or a class. Be empowered by what God has accomplished in Christ. Share with others what has been given to you. Be willing to pay the price, but most importantly, stay affected by Jesus. We live in challenging times, and it's reasonable to expect that that will continue. But come what may, live a gospel-driven life because there's no better life to live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And Lord, from all of us, including me, gently and lovingly show us the ways in which our lives are not as affected by your truth, which is your word, and most importantly, the Lord Jesus himself. Show us. We look to you for strengthening. We desire to learn of you in such a way that we are sharing it with others inside and outside the church. Give us the grace to be willing to pay whatever price and let us stay affected by the living and dwelling Christ. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.